It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we have the company of one of Essendon's most revered figures and one of its finest captains. Ken Fraser is centre-half forward in the Bombers team of the century and he boasts a resume that includes two premierships, two best and fairest and a spot in the AFL Hall of Fame. Mobile, excellent overhead mark. Fraser was twice runner-up in the Brownlow and represented Victoria many times at state level. Ken, welcome and thanks so much for your time. Pleasure, sir. I hope I can remember back that far now. It's quite a few years. Well, that's fair enough. There's one thing I remember. You mentioned this in another interview not too long ago. You mentioned an autobiography by uh, the late Albert Facey, and it was titled A Fortunate Life. Do you feel this could be the title of your book, Ken? Yes, certainly. Um, uh, that book was one of the best books I've read, I think, just the, uh, the deprivation that uh, Albert Facey had as a child and how he overcame those uh, unfortunate early years and um, you know, was a wonderful uh, person. And uh, yeah, so I feel um, you know, that I've had a fortunate life in the sense that uh, you know, I've been uh, blessed living in Essendon and as far as football is concerned and um, um, had uh, you know, quite a lot of success there in the footy. Um, and then, of course, um, met my uh, dear uh, late wife and uh, had a wonderful relationship for about 50 years there until she passed away. And then two lovely boys as sons and um, their families and their, you know, got five grandkids, so uh, they're all uh, well and uh, interested in sport and seem to be doing fine. So, yeah, I think. You know, and I think that probably my vintage, my years, we've probably lived nearly in the best of times. We've, um, um, you know, missed the Second World War. Um, I was born in in the war years. Um, didn't have to go to Vietnam, fortunately. And um, I think you know, Australia has developed into a fine country, and um, there's been uh, ever increasing opportunities by the growth of the population and so on. So yeah, I think I've had a, a fortunate life with quite a few sadnesses and disappointments, but overall a very fortunate life. And so many honours for you, Ken, both individual, collectively. I mean, how do you look back on a career that, that spanned the, you know, the 11 seasons? And, and indeed, how does it all live on with you? Does it feel like a long, long time ago or are some of those memories still pretty vivid? Yeah, some, some of them are. I mean, the, 
you never forget the uh, um, you know holding up a premiership cup uh, and being cheered off uh, by your, your teammates at the time and uh, you know some incidents um, do stick firmly in your mind a lot doesn't but um, you know it, it, it is not it's you know, just very good for the ego I suppose to hmm. uh, despite the the frailties of old age catching up with me in a few ways that uh, you still looked on as a, a celebrity in a way an old celebrity but a celebrity when I visit the, the football club so yeah it, it's it's good for the ego well You've earned it, Ken. I think that's fair to say. And you do visit the footy club quite a bit. I was going to ask you how warm your affection for the modern game and the modern-day Bombers is, but um, you're very invested, aren't you? Yes, well, I, I think the modern game is um, you know, great to watch. It, it, there are passages. Um, uh, you know, it, It's certainly a different game. It's not the kick-prop sort of game going from you know centre-half back to centre-half forward, the kicks and so on. And It's a, a lot more... Um, frantic as a game uh, but still some wonderful marking wonderful teamwork and uh, you know great skillful handball and so on and and tough courageous uh, charging into packs and uh, win the ball so though I think possibly uh, older people such as myself would probably look back at a the, probably the, the 1980s, I think some of those matches, Essendon versus Hawthorne in the finals, they were some of the most skillful and tough and uh, flow-on sort of games that uh, that might have been the peak for, for me for watching the game. Uh, there's so many players around the ball now it, uh, it becomes a little you know more congested and a little bit harder to discern you know mm. really good play and so on but so it, but I think AFL have made some good decisions as far as opening up the game and I think while you know that's a bit controversial this standing on the mark and holding the mark uh, you know not moving off the mark until given the all clear I think that has uh, opened the game up a bit and it's still a very good spectacle. And you're from a time I'm Ken, you touched on this, but I think in some respects a lot of us yearn for and remember some listeners today will with such fondness. I mean, you grew up in Essendon, you played for Essendon, you barracked for them, I think, as well as a youngster as well. So it was a a simpler time, but a time a lot of people I'd imagine would recall quite quite fondly. And there's a, a heavy touch of romanticism, footy romanticism with that sort of a journey. Yes, well... You know, most of the um, players in our, just concentrating on our 62 and 65 premierships, the majority of the players were, I think about three quarters of them were just Essendon uh, young blokes who grew up in Essendon, played in the Essendon District Footy League in Mm. the under-17s and then then came on. So most of us were, were, our vintage, Essendon, when I was six, Essendon won the grand final. When I was seven, they were beaten by Carlton by one point. And then the 48, they were in the grand final and drew with Melbourne and then lost the replay. And in 1949, Coleman came along and we won that premiership and he kicked, you know, 100 goals. 1950, won the premiership. 1951, he was reported <laughs> in the last match against that team, the, Blue, <laughs> the Navy Blues, and uh, was rubbed out. So we lost the grand final by 11 points. But we were, you know, it, it was a when you were growing up in those eras, yeah. you had, you know, great success. You're in the grand final six years in a row, and you had superstars like Reynolds and Hutchison and Coleman. Um, so, you know, you're just, you know, if you didn't barrack for Essendon, 
you know, it was a, a rare occasion, sort of. So um, to grow up in those years was just wonderful. Yeah, six consecutive grand finals, like you mentioned. It's a bit like the old saying, if you see it, you can be it. And as a junior, Ken, you played for Essendon Baptist St. John's in, in as you mentioned, the Essendon District Football League. I think it's now yeah. known as the Tullamarine Football Club, I think. But were you a little kid right, little kid with big dreams, Ken? And, and the, am I right in saying some famous names would come out of this side uh, years later, of course? Yes, well, Ted Ford and uh, four or five of us. There was myself and Ron Evans, of course, who ended up you know, being the top goal kicker for yep. a couple of years in the VFL and then chairman of the uh, AFL and did a wonderful job there. So myself, Ron Evans... Graham Johnston, a premiership player. Ted Fordham, a premiership player, and seven goals in the 65 uh, grand premiership. And Donnie McKenzie, you know, uh, uh, and later captain. So, and then following that, uh, Lindsay McGee, Genty, you know, like um, Colin Gent, I think. From that one church team, uh, you know, there were seven, six or seven players and four premiership players, sort of. So that was. You know, just you know, one of the main feeding grounds, I suppose, of the local league. But then, you know, Russell Blue came from Ascot Youth Centre, and a few like Jeff Gosper, Daryl Gerlach came from Strathmore Footy Club. So a lot of the local footy clubs had their their star players go on to play with Essendon. So how did it work, Ken, at the time? You're obviously zoned to Essendon. That's how you found yourself there as an 18 year old. Yes. Yeah. In those years, you were zoned. All Melbourne was in particular zones and if you're in that zone you had to play for that team uh, or you could ask for a clearance if you wanted to go but and then they also had country areas allocated so that Essendon had the Wimmera area in um, and as the metropolitan area extended with the you know, population growth then we also had the Ringwood area allocated to us North Melbourne had the Broad Meadows area allocated to them, and other clubs, you know, had the different. St Kilda, I think, had uh, the Peninsula area allocated mm. to them. So you had zones in the country and zones in the city. So growing up in that part of Melbourne and, and barracking for Essendon as you did, and having the, those heroes that you looked up to over that remarkable era that you mentioned, Ken, it must have been, geez, it must have been incredibly surreal or even intimidating to walk in the door there before the 1958 season. And Dick Reynolds is the coach. Jack Clark's the captain. You know, imagine all those natural thoughts of wondering whether you belonged and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was sort of a bit hard to remember all, way back, but it, it one thing that did surprise me, and it, it's a bit egotistical, but I, you know, I played in the first practice match and I managed to take a couple of marks over the, <laughs> the established centre-half back at the time, and I thought, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So, and I remember um, Dick Reynolds sort of he he didn't dump up, but he he'd walk round the ground while the game was on, or just you know amongst the players and that. And he, he sort of patted me on the back as I was walking off the field, and he said, "Oh, well done, young boy, you know, young man." So I sort of was surprised that I was able to match it, I suppose, and get a kick in in that. So I guess that was one sort of memory. Oh, this is as bad as I thought it was going to be, or more as, as difficult as I thought it would be. But then you know I'd grown fairly tall by that, and I was always very quick, and I was always. I loved playing end-to-end at school and uh, primary school and uh, you know, I found that I could out-jump 
nearly anybody and whenever I wanted to take a mark I'd sort of just go and take it you know so I was confident in my marking ability and, and as a kid growing up I tried to jump to reach the garage the top of the ga- the, um, the spouting around the garage and like you know when I was 10 or 12 and then later on when I you know, grew in the teenage years that I was I tried to jump and touch the the spout of the roof so I, uh, I don't think I ever did get to the spout of the roof but it just I think I just for those sort of um, fixation I had about jumping you know and that must have developed on my leg muscles so that I could out jump most players not John Coleman no. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't jump Cole, Coley would could be bothered when he was coach you know end to end if he if we were sort of having a bit of a kick at the end of the thing, he'd come in and join us, and he he could outmark us any time he wanted to. He was phenomenal. It's great to have your company right here on This Is Your Journey, and it's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, next, Ken Fraser's remarkable career at Essendon takes flight. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to legendary bomber Ken Fraser. So, Ken, you made your debut in the opening round of 1958 against Geelong, and I think you can thank one of your old teammates, Rob Fox, for that, can't you? Well, he was never a teammate. He was the, centre, he was the previous centre-half forward for Essendon in the two or three years prior to me joining in '58. And uh, Rob was a farmer from down Gippsland Way, and I think that he just got homesick for his farm and uh, the country living and just um, decided to go back to the, play in the bush. So that meant that the centre-half forward position was, was vacant. So, yes, I can I can thank Rob for, for, for going back to the farm. The yep. gap was there, so yep. I was able to take that. It might have just fast-tracked the inevitable because you never looked back, did you? Now, am I right in saying you never played in the seconds? No, never played in the seconds, no. So these beginnings, Ken, and finding your way, I mean, was there a realisation, it might have even come as early as the pre-season, your first one that you mentioned before the ad break, or a point in time when you felt that you belonged and the confidence that, that must have flowed from that? Yeah, well, it was a big year for me also in the sense that I, I'd started, uh, I'd got a teaching studentship, I'd finished year 12 at in high school and then I'd got a teaching studentship to be able to go to Melbourne University to study for teaching so that was a huge change for me. Going to Melbourne University was a huge step from just being in a little, you know, a high school and somehow you know I just felt that I was able to get a kick in in, um, in the matches you know that I could outmark um, most blokes um, the most defenders, you know, and, and one game in particular, I think about my third or fourth game, was against Collingwood at, at Essendon, and Dick Reynolds, uh, as coach, he wasn't a really hot gospeler at all, but most emotional speeches were against Collingwood, because he sort of, he had such difficult times at Collingwood that he, <laughs> playing against Collingwood, that, you know, he spoke very emotionally, and so in the last quarter, we were a couple of 
probably about 10 or 11 points up and um, and then Collingwood started sort of getting the ball and uh, clearing it out of the back line and I, I think I in the last quarter I took three sort of marks in a pack that sort of stopped Collingwood from advancing any further and I know that I came off in tears um, that, that day and hugged Dick because I was so emotionally worked up but I'd sort of, according to the press, I'd sort of saved the day for Essendon and I think I was awarded... 20 bucks or something for one of the best on the ground. And I didn't take the money because I was a, an amateur in those years. <laughs> in those years, there were, you know, amateurs were the only ones able to play, participate in the Olympic Games, in, and that was in 1956. So I still had this little idea that maybe, um, you know, I should retain my amateur status, but that sort of match gave me a lot of uh, confidence in myself and you know the press were saying oh yeah new boy Fraser did well in the last quarter saving the day for Essendon so that bolstered Mm. my confidence and I don't you know but that that was one incident that uh, you know I can remember quite distinctly. So Ken as a player and a key forward your agility was your strength wasn't it? Now it's been said that you were almost almost ahead of your time in an era where I guess the marking forwards were generally heavier set and slower. I mean is that fair to say? I think so yes my advantage uh, was that I was quicker than most centre half backs because they were generally stronger heavier Mm. built players and I think most centre half forwards were a bit the same way so I I had more natural speed than most so I was able to get away uh, and I had the, you know very good spring and timing for marking so if I could get a you know a, a yard or a metre on the, the centre half back well I'd just have that arm's length so that they couldn't punch the ball away so yeah, my speed I was lightly built paired to the but my speed and my ability to spring in the air, I think, was the reason why I could sort of take so many marks in a match. What great natural gifts to have. Now, you were listed, Ken, at 187 centimetres as a centre forward, and, and you mentioned you weighed around 80 kilos playing weight. I mean, do you find yourself now thinking about the modern-day player, like how tall the midfielders are now? And, and do you look at guys like, you know, Max and Ben King, Joe Danaher, Harry Mackay? I mean, these are 200-centimetre-plus guys, mobile, agile marking targets. Yeah, well, yeah. I was over at the club uh, last week when you stand with those big blokes, you're yeah. looking up to them. I think I'd be a wingman nowadays. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? But, uh, the, I guess it's the, um, well, the average height of Australian kids, you know. Yeah, um, evolution in, of man. Yeah. So it's just part of the, the healthier diet. We are, our average height has increased over the years. So but they are big boys and uh, <laughs> you look up to them and, and uh, you know, some of the smaller blokes like Johnny Burt and so on would be battling to get a game. Although, they, you know, they were brilliant in, in nowadays, you know, there wouldn't be too many of that small that have to really develop a lot, lot of strength. But I think Burt, he could do it all the same. He was such a brilliant player and so skillful sidestepping and accelerate line turning and so on and and obviously Ken the game wasn't professional then and full time and the like I mean what did training look like in, in your days Ken what was a, a typical week and, and in fact was pre-season a, a considered a, bi- a big thing what was it can you take us back we only trained two nights a week Tuesday night was about two hours Thursday night was about an hour and a quarter an hour and a half yep. um, and then played on the Saturday that was all the commitment that was needed usually pre-season training started um, early February 
So you'd have four weeks in February and then it might have even been two weeks, the second half of February, and then probably at about six weeks, four to six weeks pre-season if we started in April. So uh, practice matches in, in March and then the first probably the first week of April so it was no and we all had different, we all had jobs I mean we had Clark he was an architect Dave Shaw was a, a lawyer Brian Sampson was a bricklayer uh, Alec Eppis was a butcher Johnny Burt was a teacher and I was a teacher and Barry Davis was a teacher you know so we all had uh, you know nine to five jobs basically so mm. football was just a part-time occupation really for us. You're with This Is Your Journey it's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives you can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au we'll be back with Essendon icon Ken Fraser right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with Essendon Team of the Century member, Ken Fraser. So, Ken, you debuted in the number 23 and you'd retire in the number 23. Now, different times back then for a whole variety of reasons that we've already touched on, obviously. Now, there was no property steward, was there? I mean, you had to look after your own jumper at home. And I was hoping you could you could tell the story of having to go and get some, uh, some fresh numbers for it and your old mate Barry Davis's involvement in that. Yes, that's right. Well, Barry, wonderful footballer. He was the round the corner, you know. It was about three minutes when I played, you know, marbles and all, you know, different cricket and footy. And he, he was three years younger than me, so at eight, you know, I'm eleven and he's eight, and so. But he was the little kid round the corner who would always beat you at marbles. He was such a skillful person or youngster and very quick, very good eye coordination. So he beat you at marbles. You couldn't get him out at cricket. In end to end, he'd always be, you know, kicking the ball over your head because he had such a uh, lovely style of kicking so he was a, a little kid next around the corner who you got on okay with of course or you got on well with but it was a bit hard to take with him beating you at all these things when he's three years younger so he's <laughs> I've had a couple of seasons with Essendon and I've done all right. Barry's in year 12 at Essendon High School he's only 16 but he gets a game very early in the piece and um I think he only had about two games in the reserves and then he's into the senior side. So about three quarters of the way through that season, I was still living at home at the time. And in those years, as you mentioned, I did have a property steward. So I've gone home and my jumper number 23, is the, the jumper is a bit, the number's a bit torn and tattered. So my mother said, listen, Ken, You've got to do better than that. You've got to look a bit like a footballer. So go down and get yourself a new number and I'll sew it on. So I've gone down to the local sports store at Essendon, just near Essendon Station there, and I've asked the chap, said, oh, look, I'd like a number two and a number three, um, please. Uh, and uh, said, I'll just hold it. I'll go around the back. So he's gone and fished around in the cupboards and he's come back and said, oh, oh I'm sorry, your son. Um, We've run out of numbers two and three. Oh, I thought, oh, crikey. Uh, and then I thought, oh, oh, that's good. Um, hmm. All the kids are 
you know, must have been coming in and buying the numbers two and three and wearing 23. He said, no, it's the new boy Davis, number 32. <laughs> They're all buying his numbers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He got you again. I said, he's done me again. He did land with a real bang, didn't he, Barry Davis? But oh, you're, yes. you're a premiership player in 62, Kent. You win consecutive best and fairest in 63, 64, and then you win a flag as captain in 65, which is the ultimate. I mean, was this... Football Nirvana, for you. do you look back on this little window of time here and think that was as, as good as it got? It must have been a magical period of time for you. Yes, it certainly was. Winning the best and fairest is always you know, something you can be proud of, but winning a premiership is... Um is the sort of the ultimate because it just cements a you know a lifelong friendship with those chaps who you know the, the teammates you know even the other day we were at the footy club we caught up with about ten or eleven of that four or five of the team unfortunately have passed on but yeah we were asked back because it's the 60th anniversary of our 62 premierships year so Ben Rutten invited us back to present Guernseys to the to the current crop of players so that was was great to sort of get back and socialise with all the, the old timers or 11 of us so yeah and, and we do two or three times a year um, we'll, we'll meet up and have uh, lunch up at the Windy Hill sports club up there so mm. yeah it's great it, um, it's a, a great um, a great feeling to have achieved the ultimate and um, sharing it with your teammates. And and Ken, 65, I mean, the memories of like holding the cup up as skipper, I mean, you came from fourth on the ladder to win it, didn't you? Was it was it thrill? Was it relief? Was it both? Do you, do you remember it well? Yeah, I do remember it well because that's you know, the highlight of my football career. There's no doubt on that being presented. And uh, first, the first feeling is relief. You know, you hold the cup up and you think, thank goodness, you know, we've, yeah. we've got it, we've done it. That's the first feeling is relief. He's 55 to 60 yards out on a slight angle, almost the same position that he kicked the, his previous goal from. Favours the drop kick, it's not a good one. Falls in short, Fraser is there and marks on his chest, despite opposition from Sinman, only 15 yards out and directly in front. Fraser, the Essendon captain, with a great chance to put the Dons in front. Punk kick is right through the middle and that's Fraser's first goal. Fordham one, Fraser one. Essendon 14-21, 105 points, St Kilda 9-16-70. Chance now for St Kilda to go forward, getting the ball up towards Cooper. There goes the siren and it's all over. And there's a very happy looking John Coleman with his back to us in the light coat the coach of Essendon and one of the greatest full forwards the uh, game has seen in Victoria. And don't they look a happy bunch? The Essendon uh, bench with John Coleman being congratulated all round. And then gradually the jubilation, the joyousness sort of when you go into the club rooms and you know, all the supporters are hugging and you know, hand clapping and all, you know, all, you know, so, and then the celebrations and at the... Um, the venue, you know, that night, and then the, the memories of reading the papers the next day, you know, and all of that. So, yeah, it, but it certainly at the end it was just sheer relief. We've done it, you know. We've, that was my first feeling of just sheer relief. And can I ask you about the game that you won, obviously, to get into the grand final? So the '65 prelim over Collingwood. I guess it's remembered for well, pretty controversial off the ball incident between Collingwood's Duncan Ryder course and, and your teammate Johnny Somerville, who was left 
dazed and, and bloody on, on the ground. I mean, I think at the time you came and you waved at the trainers and umpires to stop the game, didn't you, Ken? Like, I went across, I'd heard the roar just to my left, and I looked across because uh, the ball was up the other end on the half, our half-back flank, and um, I looked across after I heard this roar, and then, then I've seen John Somerville just lying uh, flat out on the ground so I've gone across I've lifted him very gently because I thought it might be, uh, be a neck injury but I lifted him enough to see that his eyes were just totally blank and glazed you know knocked out and blood trickling out of his mouth so I waved to the trainers and they came across the um, stopped the umpire from play, you know the game stopped and then remembering what had happened to Melbourne in the 1958 grand final yeah. where Collingwood came out Collingwood Melbourne had been in Collingwood by about 10 or 12 goals in the second semi I think it was and then but then Collingwood came out and belted into them and Melbourne just got sucked in and then you know they were just beaten by you know they, they should never have been beaten but they did get sucked in there's no doubt about that so that was fiercely in my mind so I've gone round to as many players as I could and just say look don't get sucked in we win on the scoreboard we even up for Slim Somerville on the scoreboard that you know we play the board focus on the ball. So I've gone around to you know, probably 10 or 15 or as many as I could while the game had stopped. And then, um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, about 10 years ago, I came, uh, came up to uh, a function with John, with um, Peter McKenna. And Peter had been an Essendon supporter before he was playing with Collingwood because he was zoned to them. And he'd been playing mainly at full forward and had done well, but for that game, they'd switched him to centre-half forward as a tactical move, so he was playing on our tough vice-captain, Bluey Shelton, and uh, Peter McKenna said at this function I was at, do you remember that match, Ken? I said, I certainly do, Peter, and he said, well, he said, I remember what happened. He said, you you came around telling the blokes to, you know, play the ball, don't get sucked in, you know. But he said, did you realise your tough centre-half back, Bluey Shelton, followed you up about 10 or 15 metres behind you saying... Hit the bees, you know, <laughs> knock their heads in, and all other sorts of derogatory comments. But Peter said, he, he, he said, I, I waved at the trainer to come out to ask to tell the, the coach to shift me back to send, to full forward. <laughs> <laughs> because so I saw Bluey a couple of, you know, this was about 10 years ago, and I'd mm. seen him at a function shortly after that. And I said, did you follow me up and say those sort of things, Bluey? He said, of course I did, Ken. He said, I, I, I knew what you'd be saying, so I wanted to put a bit of fear into them. It even had police involvement at the time, didn't it? I think they interviewed the players or some of the players in the days and weeks afterward, but I think ultimately there were no, I don't know, no eyewitnesses, so nothing, I don't think anything ever eventuated, did it? No, no charges. The police certainly investigated it and uh, no charges were laid against anybody. So, But I I sort of had the feeling also that it upset a few of the Collingwood blokes. I, I just had that bit of a feeling that, you know, we went on and won by about eight or nine goals. So, and there weren't any reportable incidents after that. And it wasn't a spiteful game at all. Can't remember any of our blokes letting, you know, rip. I mean, we just played, you know, Alec and uh, Epis on the back flank and Bluey played, you know, with their strong, you know, play. And, and uh, 
but it was wasn't a you know it wasn't a really spiteful match. That was the only incident from my memory of it. But I thought and and the perpetrator of it was didn't play with Collingwood again. Um, so I think Collingwood felt that it had a negative effect on their reputation and also on the players, the other players who were ultimately you know ball players too. It certainly worked in our favour in the long run. It was a shame that John Somerville ended up in hospital for a few days and wasn't able to take part in the grand final. We're talking to Ken Fraser on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. From the highs of 65 to the lows of 68. And Ken's life beyond the game. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Essendon's AFL Hall of Famer Ken Fraser has been our guest today. So, Ken, 68 is far from a fairy tale. You lose the grand final by three points to Carlton, despite actually kicking more goals by the final siren. What were the conditions? There was a bit set on the conditions on the day. How tricky were they? I think it was a bit windy, but... Um I think it wasn't a wet day. The, um, no, my, my memory of it is a bit dim, but the memory of it, of course, was my biggest disappointment probably in, in the game was uh, being injured in the preliminary final. With, uh, mm. Twisted my knee badly and my ligaments were twisted and um, stretched and I wasn't able to play the next week, unfortunately. So that was... Um, my wife and I had decided to, to um, teach in England the following year. I'd decided to have a year overseas, so that would have been my last game, but um, the preliminary final was my last game, unfortunately, due to the, the injury that I got. I was nearly right. It was you know, probably nowadays could have been right, but because I relied on my spring and my, my pace, then you know, to be carrying a leg injury just meant that my two main attributes as a player were curtailed significantly. So Clarkey as coach, Jack Clark as coach, um, certainly I've got no qualms that he made the right decision. Uh, I did have a uh, fitness test at another ground. You know, we went down to the... The local high school ground and was that Maribyrnong Park, there. wasn't it? Oh, Maribyrnong Park. Sorry, yeah, yeah, Maribyrnong Park. Yeah. And and what what so, was the fitness test like back then? I imagine they they simulated all sorts of things. I think you you got tackled and you and you might have you knew it was over. Yeah, well, I got tackled and you know slung a bit and the leg just you know just wobbled to the side. You know, it just didn't have any power in that in in holding the leg. You know, it just sort of slid out. To, <laughs> So I knew that I yeah. couldn't. Although the young bloke who took over from me, Jeff Blethen, uh, with his spectacles, and uh, quite unique there. But Jeff, I think, kicked four goals in that out of the eight goals. So he did a great job at centre at full forward. So it was just um, well, it was a tight game and got three points in it, and we could have had a controversial umpiring decision out on the the flank there could have meant that uh, had it gone the other way we might have snatched victory but it was a tight game must have been so hard for you to watch and I'll come to England in a moment but it was an eventful final series for you wasn't it because there was the semi-final the bump on Robert Walls that that made front page news at the time as as well my bump on Wallsy yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, well, I was renowned for being a fair player. I don't think I ever threw a fist in, in, in any game. Um, I mean, I tried to bump hard, of course, when, but my philosophy was that the adrenaline rush, if somebody whacks you behind the ear, <laughs> number one, they're, they're not as good as you to be resorting to that, so that gave you more confidence. And then secondly, the adrenaline rush, you know, that uh, you get when you get a whack like that, you can I do it. Utilise it two ways. You u- utilise it to even up or you can utilise it to jump higher or run harder and uh, win the ball for your team so that was my philosophy that you know I was a forward the backs would be trying their butts off to get the ball up to the forward line and if I'm trying to even up well that's not the team thing to do you, you know you use your, your extra adrenaline to go harder for the ball so that was sort of my philosophy anyway. Let's move on to England then, if you don't mind, Ken, because not many of you get to pick your ending, it must be said. But after what was a glorious career, this will be a somewhat sad ending watching the 68 grand final. But you mentioned you and your, your wife had decided to go to England and, and I think you were newly married. What was the thinking there? You were going to go off and explore a, a career in teaching, weren't you? Yeah, well, I, th- I felt that, um, I'd always felt that as a teacher, I'd, I'd had the benefit of being a, a, um, a well-known person for a footy team and uh, that that gave me a decided advantage in teaching. So I wanted to go and prove myself as a teacher in a, an environment where I wasn't, you know, a football person. And I also wanted to, you know, see a different education system. And I also wanted to see a bit of the world because I'd been on the, the, the Gaelic tour to Ireland with Harry Beitzel in that first series of, against the, the, the Gaelic Irish team. So I'd started to get a bit of a, a you know, a travel, a bit of a, an idea that the world's a big place and that it would be nice to um, have a bit of experience in the world before any family came along. And uh, Shirley was a, a top class. Um, she was a phys ed teacher and she was a, an Australian representative in, in uh, World Hockey Championships the year before, before we were married. And, and so she'd seen a bit of the world, a massive tr- tour there. So we... We thought that that was, you know, the next step. And I'd got a bit older, of course. I was, I'd had 11 straight years, and um, I was getting a few ankle cook ankles and a few uh, hamstring injuries. So I thought, oh well, I've had a good career now. Uh, let's see a bit of the world. But Ken, you're only 20, 28. Modern footy, uh, there's still a good five or six li- years left in you then. Yeah, well, when we came back, we uh, I was, uh, had a few opportunities. Well, I could have coached the seconds. I was given that and with the possibility of coming if I was fit enough and good enough to play senior footy again and coach the seconds as a possibility. But also Yarrawonga Football Club had contacted me while I was overseas and they'd offered uh, you know, quite a big margin in, in uh, compared to what I would have got financially and so I was sort of thinking about, you know, I was never one of the more highly... In those years, the country boys got much more than... Um, understandably because I had to you know, change and so I had uh, just felt that uh, I needed to think about my future you know and uh, to get a house and um, you know all of that and to see a bit of the world before any family came along so so I went Yarrawonga so we went to in the long run I accepted the Yarrawonga job and I was coach of Yarrawonga playing coach for Yarrawonga for the next four years the two boys were born up there in Yarrawonga Hospital, so my two sons, or our two sons, and uh, 
so that um, the only and made some good friends up there who I still you know keep in contact with. And uh, but the biggest disappointment up there was that we were runners up two years in a row in the grand final. So mm. I, I was and they'd only won one grand final in their thirty or forty year existence because you know the bigger towns of, of Albury and Wodonga and um, Wangaratta they sort of had more uh, opportunities for uh, bigger townships. But so that was. Um, you know, probably the biggest disappointment of my football journey. And so, Ken, one of your sons, Mark, obviously listeners will be familiar with, played for Essendon and also played for Collingwood in his playing days before becoming an AFL umpire. Was it difficult watching on as a, as a parent, particularly when he had those black and white stripes on? Yeah, but it was. I sort of wore those <laughs> wore the sunglasses standing out in the outer there watching but it was that was sort of well that was one of the probably yeah losing the grand finals for Essendon was you know very disappointing losing the grand finals for um, his playing coach was you know a very big disappointment and then in one sense I was proud that Mark was good enough to play senior football but of course I was disappointed that way circumstances transpired that he played with Collingwood first and did train with the thirds at it at Essendon for the pre-season when he was finished school but he was told that no come back next year or try next year not good enough um, but he'd been playing with Montmorency in the juniors and he had been because he was showing you know quite some good ability as was young Darren too they they were both invited to the Collingwood under 16 uh, development squad so they took that up and so they got to know some of their you know mates there played with Montmorency or locally in the local league and so um, they had a bit of an inroad and Collingwood could see that they you know, both had pretty good football ability so I remember saying to Mark well you're 18 Mark you've got to make your mind up I know what I would prefer but so Mark as an 18 year old went to Collingwood with his mates basically. And of course, Dermy wasn't the only player to change jumpers in today's AFL draft. Another key move was that of former Magpie Mark Fraser, who's gone back to Essendon, where his career began. David Loudon has details. The prodigal son has returned to Windy Hill. Mark Fraser was over the moon to be back at Essendon today, where his father, Ken, is a legendary figure. I'm extremely happy to be at, uh, at a club as great as Essendon, and hopefully um, I'll continue on the family tradition. Ken Fraser played in two premierships, captaining the Bombers to the 1965 flag. Mark Fraser was rejected by Essendon in 1989 and zoned to Collingwood, but now proudly has locker number 24 next to his dad's. Fraser's a good player. I think he's uh, going to. He's got a rate of improvement that we feel that we can sort of uh, work on. Um, he's definitely one of the fittest players in the AFL, and the game's not getting any slower. Well, before I let you go, Ken, what are you, what are your hopes for Ben Rutten's Bombers in 2022? Sort of quietly confident. I, I think that uh, they showed. Uh, I think Ben will be an excellent coach and well supported by his assistant coaches there. And I think that the team is a young. Um, they've got some very good established players, uh, and um, some of the younger blokes that they recruited in the last couple of years are going to be quite outstanding players, like. Uh, Harry Jones and uh, Nick Archie Perkins, for instance, and you know they're all they've got some very good centre line players, you know Zach and uh, Andy McGrath and mm. Dyson Heppel and, and so on and so on and so and Sammy Draper's going to be a, a, an excellent ruckman 
and well supported by um, Peter Wright. So, you know, and there are others I could mention. Yeah, it's going to be a very even year, but I'm optimistic. I think that Essendon, with a bit of luck, uh, could, uh, you know, win a, a final this year and possibly even go even further than that. Ken Fraser, thanks a lot for donating your time today. AFL Hall of Fame, Essendon Team of the Century, premierships, best and fairest. It doesn't get much better than that. Well done on on all you achieved, and and thanks a lot for joining us. Pleasure, Sam. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au, and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.